This is the audio podcast with Samuel Freeman and Scott Hewitt. Tuesday, 22nd February 2011. This is the second audio podcast, and um, we're calling this one Heinrich. Great. Nice. So, first off, news, Scott. What have we got? Uh, first item of news here is the AKG uh, Scholarship of Sound. Um, which is open for applications right now, if you're interested in going along. It's an opportunity to go to Germany and take part in their kind of yearly school program they run. It's obviously heavily focused towards their, their equipment and their stuff. But it, to be honest, it's it looks like it's a really great and exciting kind of opportunity for anybody who wants to get some more hands-on experience or, you know, want, want to learn from, you know, kind of one of the top names in the business, so... I think that's a cool thing. Um, you can have a look at the AKG site for it, or you could have a look at scholarshipofsound.com, where you can get all the details, and the applications are now open. So have you looked at how, what is the application process for that? How do you, how do you apply? I, I spotted that April 30th is the deadline, but that's all I really got from the first page. It, it seems to be very much a kind of, you know, the generic questions plus some kind of tiebreaker-esque questions. You know, it's things like why you should do this and why they should select you. It's kind of, you know, I, I think, you know, anybody who was interested could have a go. It's... And I guess you don't really know what they're looking for, so. No, no, yeah. I, I just spotted it and thought that looked fun and I've, I'm contracted for work, so I can't, I couldn't go myself. So I thought, you know, might as well invite some more people to apply. Yeah, it certainly looks like a good opportunity to go over to Berlin. And, and it, it's the place to be at, isn't it? I think it's a. It is, if you want to learn from AKG. But you know what? This isn't a travel show. Let's get back to the sound. <clears throat> okay, well, more German. We've got um, Steinberg are in the UK on tour. They are going around various music stores in the UK demonstrating their Cubase 6 software. And, well, they've already started, actually. They were, they've already been to Newcastle and Birmingham, and they're in Nottingham tomorrow. Then Stoke-on-Trent, some... And Leeds and London twice, Paul and back to East London, Romford. Um, but you can get their details from the URL that which we'll put on the show notes. I think that's going to be the easiest way. It's a bit of a long one, otherwise. Um, yeah, they're going to be talking about their drum editing and beat detection. They've got a few new things that are aimed at guitarists, like the. They've got a VST amp rack in there and the VST expression, which I'm not don't know much about. So yeah, this caught my eye because I've always I'm I was a Cubase user first, back from the Atari days. So Oh, with just just MIDI there would it have been? That was just pure MIDI, yeah. Pure MIDI, wow. That was it. And and even then it was yeah, no not even any sound. You were just talking to and from a MIDI key- keyboard, everything was going through. So. so have you used uh, Cubase in anger recently? Um, I've Well, one of the things they're doing on this tour is they're taking out um, Yamaha equipment in order to demonstrate all this stuff. They've got the Yamaha drums and keyboards and stuff. And I recently bought a Yamaha um, stereo sound recorder, the Pocket 24, is it? It's, I haven't got it with me. It's, it records at 96 kilohertz, 24. Oh, it's but, a little kind of black one. Yep. It's yep, very slim, lightweight, and... One of the, the selling point that got me was that it claimed to be the fastest loading one because I'd used the, the Zoom H2 and that takes such a long time to switch on. You know, you want to... It takes ages, doesn't it? Yeah. It just goes on. And it's a good recorder, though. We should say that. It is a very good to... recorder. And that one does... It's got lots of options. It's got four microphones in there. Um, but this one does boot very fast unless 
you've got an SD card in there. It's got two gigabyte internal memory and booting straight to that is very, very quick. But as soon as you put your SD card in there, it slows down the boot up time so that it's just the same as a Zoom. But yep, I love the Yamaha. And with that, I got a light version of Cubase. Um, what did they call it? Cubase AI5 it was that I got with that. That's with a catchy name there. AI5. AI uh-huh. So, and that, you know, it's not got all of the features that I might have liked. There's a few... But it's got it's got a bunch of stuff I don't use, and just a couple of things like the overview option is something that that I do miss not having in my AI version. I, I'm not I'm not likely to buy Cubase six. However, I am likely to go along when they're in Leeds, which is the nearest one to us, and just to see what they're saying. You never know; I might get sold. But the way that I work with audio these days, the the editing that I have available in Audacity and Cubase AI5 are enough for that side of things for me right now. Well, we're obviously in the news segment here, so we really shouldn't segue like this. But I think that's an interesting point, isn't it? It's like how many, how many kind of like unnecessary extra things are they putting in this stuff now, which is maybe, maybe, maybe necessary or maybe not necessary. I, I, I do wonder because we obviously talked about Tractor mm. last week, which. And that was a whole load of like cool new interfacey stuff and does other things, but you kind of wonder how many people are how many people really need this sort of these extra things or not because it, it it's interesting, isn't it? Well, it it is indeed. Um, we'll perhaps come back to this after um, after I've been we a couple of weeks with Fuller and Leeds, and we'll come back and maybe if they've if they've if they've managed to get me excited, then we could come back and talk about about those features in particular and compare it perhaps to other other seemingly useless features mm. but i mean useless or is perhaps a bit harsh they're obviously good for a job i guess it depends on how you how oh i did i didn't mean useless and i just meant you know it's kind of is is it needed or could you just use what you've already got available i'd i, I do wonder i don't know i, I wanted to look for it like time stretching algorithm they've got a new time stretching algorithm is one thing that they're selling in there which I, I guess as as a as a user myself, I have a, a strange relationship with just about every door software you can imagine. I've used them all and disliked them all in equal equal measure. Essentially, it's, you know, you mentioned Audacity has the big advantage of being free and not having some overly complicated installation procedure, which causes you to type out twenty ridiculous characters or have a piece of plastic, you know, the size of a USB stick that you're almost certainly going to lose when you need it most. And that so that kind of frustrates me about that kind of stuff. Yep. And then Audacity, you know, while it's okay, it's just it's just clunky. It's like I want to I want to move this to here by a little bit. It's just impossible. It's just so much hard work to do that. It's, indeed, I've, I've, it's it's good for doing single track audio editing. So if you've got a stereo track, you just need to do something with it, trim it. Good for that. But you couldn't multi track record in there. Not not really. No, I do. No, it's, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be fun, would it? No. And then, and then GarageBand on the Mac. Obviously, we're, we're both we're both Mac users here, um, just because <clears throat> we are. I guess there's no particular philosophy behind that, really. But um, you know, GarageBand is, I would dare say, is ninety nine percent of what most people require. Indeed, and that well, comes in there for. Yeah, I can. I've I've looked at it once when I when I got my first Mac, what four years ago. I um, I had a little look at it for a laugh. Um. I couldn't really see anything that I would find it useful for at the time. So, but I also, when I got that first one, I got a 
pre-installed version of Logic as well. So, you know, I had them both in the same machine at the same time. And, well, I haven't, the last time I had used Logic was when it was still, what, for the PC? Um, Pent... Pent Platinum 5, was it? Logic Platinum Oh, wow. It's like, like you that. know, this is like Legacy Door Day, isn't it? Here we yeah, go. You know, MIDI, MIDI based Cubase. Now we're into Logic. Oh, it's, on. it's nostalgia today. That's what it is. Nostalgia Day. Yep. Um, but yeah, but looking back and saying, you know, that audio workstations are not, they never do what you want them to do quite, do they? But you've just got to learn to do what, you've got to compromise with them, isn't it? A compromise, yeah, a compromise indeed. I guess for those who are interested, uh, this is. Um, well, today's podcast is actually being mixed down on uh, Audiodesk, which which I got free with uh, one of my Motu sound cards and installed and decided to have a play with. Um, I'm not really convinced I like it either, to be honest, but, you know, it, uh, it, it, it does the job. It's fine for recording. I, I think the thing that infuriates me the most, this is obviously, and I do like Audiodesk. It's wrong of me to say these things. Yep. But, you know, the thing that infuriates me the most about it is the fact that you have to record um, and play arm this channels all at the same time so it's kind of annoying because you take the record arm off and but but then you have to put the play arm on otherwise it doesn't play the channel and maybe there is a way of making it so you don't have to press two buttons but the two buttons are beside each other and it's the thing i get wrong every time i try and use it yeah and it really infuriates me basically because then you know you know what you do you're kind of like oh i don't hear it so you know turn the monitors up bring the channels up oh i don't hear it oh i haven't hit the button you hit the button bang and then you kind of you know by that point, you've turned your monitors up louder than usual, and yeah, yeah, and everything's just a nightmare. So, there you go. Anyway, that's my complaint about Audiodesk. I could complain about every single one, so I'll just stop now. But maybe next week I'll have a rant about some other. Indeed, and it's an interesting, interesting um, how the ones that we use the most are the ones that we got free with hardware. Right. You know, we're, we're very much a you're going to spend money on something. I want to be able to hold it, but then we need the software too. So need the software we'll use that. too. That's it. But, Definitely something worth considering if you're in the market for or sound cards or anything like that is to look at what software do you get with it and might you find that useful. Because mm-hmm. a lot of sound cards are quite within a price range. I've got very similar features. So it could be that the software that comes with it. That's true. And you know, um, we, we, we have an exciting guest for next week, which we're announced at the end of the show. Okay. But if there's anybody out there who is enraged at my comments regarding any of these stuff, any of these doors and the sweeping generalizations that I'm making about them, then uh, feel free to drop us a drop us an email or a Twitter. Um, you know, you can get all those details online from the uh, the the audio podcast.co.uk, and we'd be more than happy to have you come on here and tell us uh, why we're wrong and why we should be using whatever. So, yep, that, that's perfectly fine. We we may not agree with you, but you know, but sure. we're, we're open. We're open to the conversation. We're definitely yeah. Yep. So we that that was because uh, Stein uh, Steinberger on tour, isn't it? With That's right. Cubase yeah. six was why we were why we went off into this little rant for fun, which is <laughs> which I think is good. I hope people enjoy listening to it because it's kind of. I think this is going to continue, isn't it? Really, I think so. Gonna... Yeah, maybe we should um. Change, What's next? Change some, something different. Um, Radiohead album. I suppose we should talk about that. That's happened this week. We're in the news section, so. Yeah, yeah. Radio Radiohead album released online. You can get it with like a whole load of couple of hack down trees can't you i think and but then you can also get just the online releases as yep. mp3 or wav did you buy it no no i no, um, mean never no <laughs> <laughs> would you would if you were would you go for the mp3 or the wav yeah. um i would go for the wav you think you go for the wav i, I think, think it's so. like three pound more for the wav or something it's i think a... three pound more for the wav and 10 times as long to download is probably probably worth it you can burn it onto a cd yourself then you can listen to it i mean is this is it 16, are you allowed 20? to burn it on a cd just oh, so you gosh, say that. i have no idea but 
<laughs> I, but, I, but I don't, don't know you, if you are. You do, get you, are. The, you do get the um the tree and the vinyl and the CD as anyway, don't you? Like, is no, only right? no, you oh, only you if you go for you can just go for the download option. If you oh, want can to. you? Oh, okay. M- maybe maybe they send you the 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 CD when it arrives. I I don't know. Um. M- maybe they do. To, to be honest, I just buy the fact you can buy it online, and it's not. Yep. It's it's an external purchase as well, so it's not a buy through iTunes or something like that. It's actually yep. a buy buy from themselves, which I think is an interesting angle. That's definitely something they've been doing for quite a long time. It's kind of sidestepping sidestepping some of the industry bits and doing it. You know, so self from, no. no. It, it felt like the kind of thing we should remark on. So hence, I think we've remarked on it. Really, there it is. No, it's, yeah. uh, neither of us have bought it. There we go. Obviously, if one of us had and listened to it, we might yeah, have I think I've heard from a few people who said they bought it and uh, spotted a tweet from someone saying they're downloading it, but no one's come back since then and said that was really good. So maybe no one's got around to listening to it. I don't know. Maybe you just go buy it and then it just sits there and it's like, and you just never listen to it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's got like. Maybe that's because it's not in a box and it's not like lying around your living room or you can't just load it in the, into the car and your CD player in the car or whatever. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> So if you've listened to the uh, new Radiohead CD get in and touch, you'd like to get it... in touch and tell us what you thought about it, that'd be great because uh, we haven't looked into it yet properly. Cool. It's got, I think it's going well, a uh, new section today, actually. we're having This is a lot more fun than it was last week. It is. We're, we're not on Skype. We're actually in the same room today. It's a lot, it's a lot easier. It's, it's, a, it's a, yeah. It's kind of more amusing, I think. Okay, what's next? Our, our, the music, the demise of the music games. Yep. So um, I, I guess the, the headline story is basically that all of the um, um, Activision who kind of started it all off with Guitar Hero basically ended it all now. They've just said that they're, they've terminated the entire division. So it's not just a matter of they've delayed a release. They've actually just terminated the whole division. It's not going to happen anymore. Um, and all, all of the other kind of players in that space are all kind of suffering a similar sort of problem. And it seems to be that... Um, it seems to be a combination of factors. I think the main one's been a profitability issue, just in the fact that they're having to put out these, you know, these big licensing arrangements with all of the bands for the material and stuff. And like when they got the Beatles on board, you know, yep. one imagines that was a significant. <laughs> it would have been a significant cost in doing that. And obviously, as an industry, they're competing against people who are making, you know, first-person shooters where they own all the intellectual property and they have no licensing to pay whatsoever. So. You can imagine how all this extra cost is probably causing a huge profit issue. Um, I, I'll be perfectly honest. I never really understood like the, the whole the whole thing. Anyway, it's like when I want to play guitar, I play guitar. I wouldn't play Guitar Hero, and it didn't seem to have a lot of transferable skills. Like, you know, and it did involve. It's not just a game where you can get it and play it with. You've got you know say you you've got a console. You've got your controller, which comes with your console. And then you get this game, and you have to buy the guitar. Does, does the guitar come with the game, or? Oh, I think you got like one, didn't you? But if you wanted to play if, with somebody else, you needed another. I one certainly have seen lots for sale that are um, yeah. And then when it gets into the whole rock band thing, and you've got all the different controls for different instruments, and I think I think that would put some people off in general. The idea of having the extra things live lying around, or something that only works with this one game it's not like it's not as if there are lots of games that you could use the same controller for yeah d- yeah I, I i guess also there's only so many um how, how can one put this so many rock classics available really as well and once you've kind of played them all you've kind of played them all really it's not you know nope. the music industry isn't churning out a 
seminal rock tracks right now left right and center aren't they so you know what i mean it's kind of kind of fun though I, I guess the best bit though i'm saying there's something kind of fun about having your pretend guitar if you don't play anything at all and you just want to jump around in your living room for fun it's just yep you know it, it kind of works and i guess people do that with their wii's all the time don't they nintendo wii's and pretend they're skiing so you know what i mean it's probably as as convincing turn the tv up really loud and have the music on because like people cheer, don't they? I don't know if you play, but they have like people cheer while you're playing. If you play it well, they cheer louder, and if you play badly, they start booing. So it's, you know, in many ways, I think a lot of musicians out there would probably be grateful for an audience which was that there. Indeed, participative. But I in wonder. What doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, does do do games like this undermine what it is to play music? There is, you know, there's more. Is it that there is more to playing the music than just hitting hitting buttons in time, you know? Or that, that's I, I that's interesting, I guess, isn't it? Because essentially, there probably isn't there there isn't a lot more to it than playing the pressing right, the right pressing thing, the right thing at the right time. It just happens to be a you know massively simplified interface. I I think from my point of view, as from from involvement in education, I I kind of thought you know Guitar Hero doesn't actually it kind of pretends that it is a guitar, but it doesn't actually, I'm not sure how many transferable skills it would actually be developing people to become guitar players. Because you obviously had, what, six buttons yep. or whatever at the end of it. And then, you know, you've got one bit which you kind of click up and down to to kind of em emulate the string action, isn't it? And, you know, guitars have six strings. And and a lot more than six places that you can put your fingers. fingers so. And you don't kind of go up and down. You, you, you don't tend to just go up, down, up, down, up, down in the way that, you know the way that it kind of led you sort of thing and they're also the size because they're not the right size like when i um when i played i had a huge problem because I'm, I'm a bass player normally and obviously on on a full-size bass the frets are a lot further apart at the far end yep so when i tried to play it my fingers i i i found it really hard to play because of the fact that my fingers naturally didn't go into the position for the second button because as far as i was concerned you know you're still within the one, same fret. <laughs> and then fret two were, you know, one and three, not one and two. So I kind of, that kind of really struck me actually as a kind of, you could be really good at doing this. And even if you were to open tune the guitar and get people to play, you know, you know, power chords, kind of flat power chords, mm -hmm. they still wouldn't actually be developing the finger positioning no. to do the job properly. And but guitars are fairly standardized in, they are in, in length, aren't they? So why couldn't it be a, you know, Maybe if there was a full size, you know, full size one with an appropriate length, you could argue that you're developing some sort of transferable skill. But you know, playing Guitar Hero isn't going to make you a great guitarist, I don't think. But does that mean it's not a good game? I mean, perhaps the sales figures speak for itself on that. If they're saying that we're not going to make it anymore, but I wonder. Uh, but I think that's because they couldn't make. They were struggling to make money out of it. I don't think that's because they didn't. It wasn't selling. I think it's another situation of the music industry, possibly a. Causing itself problems. Ah, oh, copyright. Uh, ah, licensing. Uh, who owns these ideas anyway? Uh, musicians who want to eat. Oh, <laughs> we, 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 yeah. But there we go. I'm saying, let's face it. I think the the main thing that we're all waiting for in the computer game space right now is obviously the new Duke Nukem game, isn't it? Which is just you know, 15 years delayed or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't really matter if it's just a fictional object now. It doesn't really matter. It is due though. It is. It is due soon, but that that has nothing to do with what we're doing here at no, all. No, not at all. Though it might tenuously segue into one of our main items when we get there, I guess. I suppose it could do. I mean, are we are we into that now? Or? I think we've we've just got one last uh, one last piece of news actually.
I think. Yeah, we have one one last piece of news. Um, coming up this um, coming up this week, uh, you may or may not be aware that we're based in Huddersfield in the United Kingdom. Here, um, we we d- we will do our best to make sure we don't have too much local content because we know that's not particularly relevant to people. But um, something which we did want to just quickly uh, talk about was uh, Gem Days, which is a festival put on by the University of Huddersfield. It's uh, February the twenty third to the twenty seventh. Yep, they've been and doing this for the past four or five years now, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the cool things about it is the fact that everything's completely uh, free. So that's um, that, that's why we feel we can plug it, because it's not like a gig with a, you know, go to a gig and pay pay for it sort of thing. It's completely free. Come along. Um, there's a whole variety of stuff. Is there anything in particular that's caught your attention, Sam? Or? Um, well, for the past couple of years, they've been doing on the Saturday the Max MSP Symposium, which is, um, again, free. Come along. They used to call it the Power Users Symposium. And yeah, you have there's usually a number of people presenting their work and just talking about what they've been doing in Max MSP and Q and A, and it's really interesting to see see some of the in depth work that some people have been doing. It's very yeah interesting. I mean, Max MSP is my primary software. It's what I do most of my work within. So Puck's quite niche, but yeah, do they? I know. I know it's last year that they did film them. Have they been um, made available at all? These talks. I mean, or is that just for person? Is that just for the archive within the university? I, I, th- um, I think it was just for archive. Though this year there's been conversation about possibly, possibly streaming it. Though I, I don't know if it's happening yet. I should say that. No, um, I, I, I don't know. I am. Well, yeah. but if you take a look online, it's it's Gem Days, and if it was going to be streamed, it would obviously be, it would be streamed on the Saturday, twenty sixth of February. 1 p.m. Yep. Uh, kind of whatever time we're currently on in the UK. What is um, it? It's just GMT right yeah, now. It's just yeah. GMT we're on right now. So it's just so, GMT And the webpage here. for Gem Days is gemdays.co.uk. That's G-E-M-D-A-Y-S dot C-O dot U-K. I think from, from, for myself, I'd probably uh, highlight the 20, Friday the 25th of February, which is uh, Martin and Howe's uh, Sam Pluter and Annie Leberg. Yeah, I think I'll do it there. Which is just a whole load of uh, laptop improv, which kind of be fun. It's the kind of thing that I'm into. So perhaps if you, you know, that could be something else which could be enjoyable to take a look at as well. Mm. Cool. So uh, I think that's the uh, the news items uh, done. Yep. Wow. So we can loop back to computer games again, but this time talking about audio in terms of the music that is made for computer games, computer game audio. Because computer games are an enormous industry. It's comparable with Hollywood, and at least, if not larger. After, I think it was perhaps the same day that the news was reported about the demise of the games we were talking about, the rock band, etc. On Radio 4, there was a documentary called Bleep Bleep Bloop. Uh, talking about music and video games and that was perhaps prompted by the fact that the BAFTAs and the Ivor Novello Awards have both introduced categories for computer game audio I, I didn't realise they'd introduced categories into that but I, it it does make sense and so when you think about the production credits behind some of the new you know some of the kind of recent blockbusters on the kind of consoles nowadays it's you know, some of the stuff is incredible. incredible That's it, working, isn't it? Yep, they're hiring orchestras and doing full scores, and and it's such a very different way of making music compared to writing music for film, where you've got 
you might have a set of cues and you're making music that's fixed with a computer game you're making music which is to be dynamic and responds to the gameplay so that different musical events are triggered by the player's actions so yeah come a long way since since tetris the tetris theme is what hooked me on this particular documentary it's available to listen to on bbc iplayer you can listen again um it doesn't have a time limit at the moment. It doesn't say often these things are only available for a week. This one just says available. So I think it might be there for longer. Um, again, we'll put the link to that on the show notes or if you went through BBC Radio 4 and searched for bleep bleep bloop or looked under documentaries, then yeah. And it has moved on so much, hasn't it? If you think of like the kind of NES console sort of stuff where it's kind of beep beep beep, beep and bloop. I guess, yep. and that sort of stuff, whereas now it's obviously kind of fully, a lot of it's fully scored, and um, a lot of the more recent kind of game engines have kind of tie-ins, don't they? So the on-screen action is actually kind of alters the, alters the kind of audio as well. So yep. you kind of get a much more kind of immersive atmospheric sort of sound stuff, um, ad- adapting to the gameplay environment. And it, also if you think there's a lot of sound design within the gameplay g- game environments now yep. as well. So you, you know, quite often you'll get a, a cue as to, you know, a cue as to what's happening will actually come through sound as often as it maybe would come visually. You know, you can find. I always think I'm, I love first-person shooters, and it's like nine times out of ten, the re, you know the first time you realize you're being shot at is because you hear the bullets stop flying. It's you know, yep. It's which I guess is fairly realistic <laughs> to to when you're being shot to at. to a real-world environment because if you're looking in the wrong way and somebody starts shooting at you, you're the first thing you'll hear is, is unless the, a couple unless of rounds pass by. Know, unless you, you get hit straight away, obviously, in which yeah. case you're. How how that's no, that's not diverged there. That's not good. No. Um In in that sphere actually, something I saw recently, um there's a, a new game coming out called Dead Island, which is um which, which is kind of a zombie killing thing. Um it, it's definitely it's it's not, not kind of n- not for children, I I should probably <laughs> stress here. So, you know, I mean if you're if you're listening to this and you're of an age then, you know, maybe just omit looking at this link. But what they've put together is this incredibly it's it's a really stunning trailer um for the game and it's it's actually quite it's really powerful because if you didn't know it was a game, it's actually a fairly coherent two minute trailer which gives you a kind of interesting narrative about the situation. Mm. But the thing that struck me is it's you know, the scoring behind it, the animation behind it, the storytelling behind it is is all really good. It looks it looks top notch, it looks really interesting. And I think the, the games industry is definitely one of these places where there is some pros- you know there there is some growth there and some kind of some real opportunity for a lot of people definitely moment, I think. so don't make music about don't make games about music make music for games oh i like that yeah i like what you got there you know so, that that could have been another show title there i think actually well you know but we we're, we're <laughs> let people know why our show title is what it is when we get to when we get to, you know oh, whoever yes. on you just gotta listen to find out about these things um yep yeah, and one last thing on this point i think is Something which I was not aware of is that they've, there's now a growing trend around the world of orchestral performances of in-game music. So they market it at gamers and say, come along to our concert hall and listen to whatever orchestra, play the games, play the music from the games. And apparently these things are hugely popular, like selling out thousands of seats compared to the same concert hall on a normal night might sell a few hundred tickets to see classical music repertoire and then you get hundreds of thousands more to come to people playing music from i don't know what 
but, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not a gamer, so I'm. You know, I can't pull. But if you if you look on somewhere head, like but... YouTube, you'll find there's loads of videos of people doing like Zelda theme tunes and Sonic theme tunes and all sorts of stuff, and all in all sorts of novel novel ways on yep. bottles or things like that. It's you know what I mean. It, it games are you know games have a definite culture about them, and it makes sense that the music is part of yeah. It's it's part of the culture that sort of stuff. Kind of like that. And so, yeah, to reiterate one of the anecdotes that's in the um, in that documentary. Is they say that when you take this music to an orchestra and they first flick through the pages and say they they might not look too impressed at first when they see they're going to be playing Sonic the Hedgehog. But when they How have... How does that even go? I'm trying to think. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, had, I had Tetris in my head this morning. And it actually morphed into um that the popcorn. Do you remember the, you know that tune popcorn? Yeah. Kind of, I guess that's because we were talking about similar music technology, obviously, early 70s, obviously. Not that Tetris is that old, but... <laughs> but yeah, I think let's... I'll I'll hold back on that anecdote. You should just listen to the programme. It's a good programme, a 30-minute documentary. I highly recommend that. That's cool, and that's available on uh, iPlayer, yep. did you say, which for Yeah, we'll put a link directly to it, but if you, you'll be able to find it by looking through Radio 4 documentaries. And it's Radio 4, which means it could eventually end up on the World Service as well, wouldn't it? Possibly. Potentially, yeah. That could be another opportunity for people in that, you know. That's it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the um, if the BBC content is available if you're not within the UK. I don't know. Is it? I don't know. I th- I don't know. I I know there's problems with this, some of the TV content isn't, but I think the radio stuff was. Maybe I don't know if it still is. It's. Don't know. Let us know. Let us know. We're interested. Yeah. yeah no, we're definitely interested about that as well. Cool. Um, from a a little thing that caught my eye a couple of a couple of days ago, and I thought I'd talk about it, is the is a new kind of hardware release from uh, Fosrite, uh, which is their RedNet um, audio system, which is it, it's uh, an audio over Ethernet kind of solution using a uh, Dante protocol. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, th- this this sort of spec equipment is definitely in the kind of professional installation level. It's, you know, it's it's probably beyond what a lot of us use on a kind of daily basis. But it's interesting how this world is kind of developing now in the search. Um, well, what, what I think is interesting about it is they're basically using, um, with, with the Dante protocol that they used to do it, yep. um, you're basically using um, gigabit Ethernet, including routers. So you can, you can traverse routers if you want to. You can traverse NAT on there if you want to as well to actually connect audio devices together. So you can link your, you could potentially get, get your laptop plug it into a wired network, plug one of these devices in, one of their RedNet devices in somewhere else in the building, and be able to shift near real-time audio between those two, two, pla- between those two places. And we're talking about potentially hundreds of channels there, aren't we? I think at the lowest, I think it, I read that it, it's up to 128 channels in and out, so that's 128 in and 128 out. Yeah. Well, what they have is they... they in, in addition to just being, they, they can use any Ethernet port. So you can use any Ethernet port you want to drive this. But they also offer a PCI Express card, which you could install into like a, a Mac Pro or something like that. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, that would give you the maximum count and the incredible low latency. It's three millisecond low latency um, in out on, on, on the rig, which is which is impressive. They, yeah. they claim that the, um, the Ethernet connectivity is akin to firewire latency. Okay. So I'm guessing what firewire latency... 10 milliseconds in or something oh yeah down to that it, it, it all depends it's, it's on your buffer size yeah. but yeah but it but it is you know what i mean it is it's it's not it's not particularly high sort of stuff so it is a kind of low a very kind of low latency thing 
the the point that really interested me is though um i don't know if you i don't know if you noticed but um apple and intel have been developing a, a new connectivity technology as well um no, to, I didn't they're this. calling it light light pack or something okay um I, I probably got that wrong, but that's to work their high-res cinema displays. Because oh, right. the high-res cinema displays are currently plugged into, you know, they have to plug them in twice onto the machines. Right. So this is this one connectivity, and it offers a massive amount of bandwidth in both directions. And obviously, we've got FireWire 800, which replaced yep. FireWire 400, and there's USB 2, which replaced USB. And all the time, though, we've always had this one Ethernet port, which has survived all the way through all of these iterations reasonably well. I'm saying, you yeah. know... There are some devices now that are without Ethernet ports, you know, in the, you know, some of the netbooks perhaps, and the iPad and devices like that. But it's it struck me as quite interesting that you can get this much if you can get this much connectivity over an Ethernet port. Why, why do the other things even exist? Other, other things oh. required anymore? Because my Ethernet port sits unused. Um, I use wireless all the time. It's I don't plug my mm. laptop in ever to anything. So in actual fact, you know, having this sort of rig, having a, a consumer level device here. Could be really interesting. Could be a good, a good solution for a whole variety of things. Especially if you can go over a route. You know, when you can move across the routers and stuff, you can, you know, you can't go into the, in- well, you, you you can't go into the internet with any sort of reliability at all. I'm sure you could probably hack it to to send it onto the internet VPN out or something. But you know, if you keep it within your local network area, then you'd be, you know, what I mean, you could have this stuff connected up quite, you know, quite easily. And you could imagine and this. This means that if you've got. Say you've got your A to D converters in, if you're in a studio environment or even on stage, you have your A to D converter there and then it's just one cable to run all those lines to the mixing position. Well, it's, it's just one Ethernet cable as well, which is, you know, which is dirt cheap. Those cables aren't expensive. It's not like a, you're not talking, you know, the need to have a huge, heavy multi-core, which, you know, no, nope. and Everybody has problems with their analog motor cores, don't they? They just, you know, I mean, they over time they develop problems and they get abused and they're big and heavy and you, people kind of bang the ends about and the box yep. gets kicked and stuff. Whereas, you know, in this situation, you'd be looking at, an eth- you know, just literally a, an Ethernet cable running the length of the building. But the other cool thing is you think about it is how many spaces have Ethernet already in place? That's true. So you do, you wouldn't require, like, if you went to a conference hall, rather than having to do the cabling, almost they're almost certainly going to have Ethernet in place, in which case you can just... But if there was some level, you know, we don't need we don't need sixty four channels in that kind of situation. But if you had something which would enable you to plug in two or four, two, two, two yeah, yeah. Saying, well, you can imagine, couldn't you? You know, maybe two two mics and two, two returns back to do the the amplification. Yeah, some sort of desk at the back. You know, what I mean, it's an in, I think it's an interesting kind of. I, I think there's a lot of kind of obviously right now it's in the professional high spec level, but I think. I wonder if this stuff will come down into a sort of more consumer kind of sphere just because of the fact that it will take away the complexity from the from the device manufacturers. I'm saying mm. it's I'm I'm saying Apple have always been Apple have always been the proponent of Firewire, but even they had to give have given up on Firewire on the MacBooks now. So, you know, clearly if they could offer the same level of audio back onto that kind of device using an Ethernet port, that would be something of that could potentially be something of interest to them. As long as they keep hold of the Ethernet, I mean, the the MacBook Air doesn't have one of those, does it? And as you say, even some of the well, some of the netbooks, it depends because they're netbooks. Some of them do have the yeah, Ethernet on there. But hmm. I think it's interesting just where we can standard, you know, where the standardization options are or are not. Because Ethernet port is such an interesting 
it's such an incredibly useful port. I'm saying you can push video, you can push video across it. You can use it for high capacity storage, uh, network network attached storage solutions and stuff. And audio over Ethernet isn't a isn't a particularly new thing. This is you know this is a new a new a new option in the space, which is why I thought mm -hmm. it'd be cool to kind of talk about it. But I think there's there's a whole load of interesting is there, ideas in there. Is there um, scope for doing audio over network using Wi-Fi? How much bandwidth do you get on Wi-Fi? I'm not. I mean, it, could could you ever sense? Because I know that for low resolution, there are home systems. There, there are solutions, aren't there? I I think the the problem with Wi-Fi though is you've got. Well, the, the problem is what you expect the audio to do, isn't it? And how and how a computer network expects to work, and those two things are a little bit removed from each other. Yeah. And the wireless, in the wireless world, it's particularly the there's an extension to it as well because yeah. obviously the wireless world is very much of a this might not always work, so the protocol's designed to cope with it not always working. And it's also designed with the idea that nothing is really time critical, which is... Which, with audio, you once you, you want it to be connected and always be there and always be on time. So, yeah. And that's that's just not how, how it goes. And networks, you know, I'm saying computer networks um, auto-throttle themselves when they have congestion on there, so you can't even... It's not even like a, a dedicated hardware kind of sound card where you know what your latency is. Yep. Whereas on a an audio network and especially wireless networks are notorious, the, the you know, the latency will literally shift up and down okay. as you know, as as different things happen. So it can be quite you, you know, I I don't I don't think audio over over Wi Fi is necessarily gonna be a kind of professional production level thing for to to a really high standard for a while. But I know that they kinda of Dante stuff and audio over Ethernet, if you're willing to put out the money now and this stuff is still very expensive, is is pretty much bulletproof. Yep. Um, and an interesting aside to, uh, to to this as well that I think is just worth mentioning is the whole net neutrality debate that goes on. You know, the idea that yeah. all network traffic should be treated equal. Well, this RedNet stuff is designed to exploit that not being the case. So it's actually um, they actually recommend that you use uh, quality of service um, capable routers, which will prioritize traffic and allow you to traffic shape. So it, it it's an interesting thing because there's obviously a lot of people out there who are talking about how important net neutrality would be. But at the same point, here is a technology which would be incredibly useful, which really net neutrality wouldn't work for in that sort of way. But then, you know, this isn't designed to go onto the internet. This is designed for a local, you know, for a local installation. Yes. Um, but it can go beyond, beyond the router. So you could have, you know, if you're in an office block or a large studio complex or a TV complex, then you could, you know, have your boxes plugged in at various parts around the building and just move naturally between them, which is quite a, would be incredibly useful, but it, there, there are, there are issues inside, inside how it's done there. It's, um, it's important to note that the one other big difference of audio over ethernet is it's not VOIP. It's not voice over IP. So it is designed to give low latency and it is designed to give high quality. It's not, yeah. it's not Skype, which is, you know, which doesn't give high quality and no. does drop out every now and again and as such. But there you go. Anyway, that, that's that's the rig. Um, it's due in the country. It, it's due. It's due for sale in the in the UK here. At kind of Easter, um, Easterish, I think, spring summer sort of time. Uh, pricing's yet to be fixed, but it is definitely it's professional. You know, it's professional installation grade kit. But you might see that. Um, I'm sure they will tour it around the place. So you know. Mm -hmm. You might you might see an opportunity to go and have a look at it, okay. and it's, it's something to have a look at because I think this is, I think this is where the kind of professional world could well be heading, just because of the fact Ethernet's everywhere and it's all it's already in place. So, you know, 
why why pay to do an installation of something else when when this is here if it if it works for the task? Yep. So that's the focus right rednet. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, you can obviously find that online if you do a search for focus right rednet. That's that's all there. They have a, a whole load of materials about it, obviously, and stuff there as well. So we we move into our plundered part. I always feel like we have to do some sort of pirate thing here, actually. But ar ar ar. Do you what? Do you have something, Sam? Or? Yeah, we have to, we have the Heinrich. Heinrich is um. Oh, we're yeah. talking about Heinrich Rudolf Hertz, who was born today, but in 1857, February 22nd, 1857, he was born, and he is the guy who basically proved that radio waves exist. Ooh. And that we can see them. He, um, yeah, he he'd studied under Helmholtz, and became. Um, he was into physics basically and theoretical physics for a time. He was, yep, and he proved. So James Maxwell had a decade or so earlier hypothesized or said that. Electromagnetic waves do this stuff, but hadn't it had not been proved. And Hertz was the guy who set up an experiment to... He had a spark generator, and then several meters away, he had coils of wire with little gaps, and he connected it all up and proved that there are indeed electromagnetic waves that can travel through space at the speed of light. He proved that that's how fast they go. And he... Well, he said that there's... um That there are no use whatsoever. This experiment just proves that Maxwell was right. Um, but obviously later people came along and were able to use these this technology to develop radio and radio broadcast. And so, yeah, and that's and Hertz, that's why we call the measurement of cycles per second is named after him. So there we go. Oh, that is beautiful. Heinrich Hertz. That's, that's very educational. I like, I like that there. I quite like history of things. Um, following on the educational line, actually, both of our plundered items are very educational on oh, this okay. week, I guess, which is... Maybe, there we go. We'll, we'll find something more fun and jolly next next week, perhaps. Um, I, I've recently finished reading a book called The Mixing Engineer's Handbook by Bob Owinsky. Um, O-W-S-I-N-S-K-I. You know, I'm sure you can get it in your library or, you know, universities, or I'm sure it's for sale on Amazon as well, actually. Um, it, it It was really interesting, actually. Um, it, it's basically, uh, he did a series of interviews with a whole load of kind of big names. It's a little bit dated as a book. Um, 99 um, is the latest reprint. What was the reprint I was reading? But um, it was a really interesting, a really interesting read about, um, you know, meth- methodology of kind of particular people and, you know, how they did things on certain recordings or certain approaches they found worked, certain things they found didn't work. Um, it was a fairly interesting channel, a fairly interesting section where they were talking about channel, um, like working with channel strips and EQ and compression and stuff like that. Um, it was also interesting um, the way they talked quite historically about what they were doing. Okay. But also with such a, a very strong kind of leaning to geography as well. All right. Which so. is something that I think is pretty much gone nowadays. I'm saying I, I think if you listen to a record nowadays, you probably couldn't tell where it was mixed. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you listen back to some 80s, if you listen back to 80s like music from the 80s, 80s rock or stuff like that, you can definitely kind of, you'll start to pick off the kind of geographical clues yeah. as to where it's been mixed. And he really, they, they talk about that as kind of different method. You know, they, 
he acknowledges the fact that it's declining, but he still kind of highlights what would be these key core elements of these different mixing traditions and their variation. And I found that was quite interesting because from my, from my point of view, I, I was kind of, I realized that I identify with probably one of those traditions more than the other traditions. And as a consequence, I'm going to go and listen through some of the production work of those people mm-hmm. just to just get a feel for, you know, what it, what it was they were doing. And, you know, I think there'd be some ideas and kind of mixed techniques and stuff and overall sounds to go for out of that. So I'll look so, it up. Uh, so that's the mixing engineer's handbook. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, by Bob, Bobby Owinsky. There you go. Okay. Um, I was looking to see if there's an ISBN number or something like that, but I don't see it off the top. I'm sure I could find it on Google. It was yeah, you'll find it on Google. We get, well, and we'll put yeah, we'll put the name up and yeah, we'll put the on. name up. And if we find it on Amazon or somewhere, I guess we'll we'll put a link to somewhere you could get it if we can find it. I'm sure we can. It it is available. Like it's you know, yeah, it it is available. So I, I hope I'm not recommending an out of print book because that would obviously be frustrating. <laughs> there we go. Have you got any other plundered items? Um, no, that was it. That was it. I got excited by Heinrich Kurtz there and 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 read about him. I know. That's cool. Was it mainly a Wikipedia research there, or was it? Was um, it I confess that? that there was probably probably forty percent Wikipedia. Forty percent. But I think, and the other sixty percent was um, from ideafinder.com dot com history Ooh. slash inventors. It's, I've never seen that site before, but it's quite interesting. Yeah, that's, that sounds pretty yeah. cool. So I think at this point we we've we've made it to the end of our material. Wow! Wow! How about that? Um, we, we should mention uh, we, we we alluded to it earlier on, so I mentioned now. Uh, next week we are very hopeful, and it it we just got to sort out the time, but it should work out that we're going to have John Spriggs um, on the show, and we're going to be talking to him about CC Hits, which is the Creative Commons uh, kind of chart network, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. He's going to tell us about it, how people can get involved in terms of. Uh, podcast operators but also in terms of bands and artists as well so that should be a really interesting thing so the show will probably take a little a, a slightly different format i guess because we'll probably speak to him for most of it or something okay you know what i mean we, we haven't really we're, we'll see how the interview goes i guess yeah. but we're really excited that he's going to be joining us for an interview next week so uh, that'd be uh, john Sprig from cchits.net and if you want to go check that site out you can do right now it's yeah it's there it's you know gives a link to a whole load of kind of the top 10 of creative commons music right now and they run a couple of podcasts themselves um about you know the kind of they run a chart show once a month i think it is or something like that so it's kind of interesting okay i, I think i think that's cool so we'll have him next week which would be ace i look forward to it yeah i look forward to it too we all look forward to it that's like we should uh we we, we should do the 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 outro show bits so oh yeah this this could be the point where the the audio would once the the background tunes will that is I mean if we yeah peer we'll, out of the ether well yeah that's there it goes oh nice okay so so you can find the audio podcast online where can you find it online at Sam theaudiopodcast.co.uk and if you you know you don't mind like websites but you're more of a Twitter person at the audio oh it's fantastic it's fantastic stuff uh, the audio podcast is an on time production house production awesome as I say to that um, I'm Scott Hewitt you can find out about me at scotthewitt.co.uk it's been a pleasure to be joined with by with with by Samuel Freeman um, go through Twitter at Samuel Freeman awesome stuff cool we will see you next week for what will be the third Number audio podcast woo woo <laughs>